Well, good morning. My name is Angela Reese. I am one of the pastors here, and I'm excited to be with you today, just one week before Christmas. Um, you all have been so gracious to listen to this announcement week after week, multiple times, but here it is one last time, although you will still see it on social media. <laughs> Our Christmas Eve services this year are on December 23rd and 24th at the times you see listed on the screen. If you're planning to join us, we are asking everyone to go to prov.church/christmas and save your spot. Um, that just allows us to plan and prepare to welcome you. But like Jacob said last week, if you have a friend or family member or somebody that God puts on your heart at the last minute to invite, um, just invite them. Bring them along with you. Services are filling up, but we will have space for them. Um, and if you're joining us online, I just want to ask for you to try to register by tomorrow morning. I have candles and communion elements that I would love to send to you. And I just want to make sure that we have enough calendar days for them to get to you. So tomorrow morning. One of the other things we have been talking about over the last few weeks and asking you to be uh, in prayer about is our Christmas Eve offering. Every year we give 100% of our Christmas Eve offering away, and this year we are giving it to two organizations. Uh, one is a school, Barry Tatum Academy, who uh, they are the um, alternative school for Wilson County in middle school through fifth grade and some uh, adult adult classes. And last week, we watched a video of their staff sharing their heart and their mission with us, and we want to join them in their work to awaken hope in the hearts of their students and restore a sense of purpose in their lives. The other organization is Compassionate Hands, and this morning, we have a video from their staff sharing with us, so take a look. Compassionate Hands is a ministry of the churches of Wilson County. It's nearly 50 congregations working together to care for people who lack housing. We open our doors to uh, men and women to, to come in and be able to have a safe, warm place to sleep at night. We offer a, a hot meal every night for dinner. They get their laundry washed. They get to take a shower. We're doing winter shelters and year-round services and now we have this ministry center. We are uh, the only homeless shelter in Wilson County. This ministry came into existence because the churches in Wilson County realized there was a problem. When our guests come here, we often become their family. We become their church. Church can be just a place you go and sit for an hour each week, and it doesn't really make much impact in the world. And then I say, oh, come over here and see what the Church of Wilson County is doing. We just need to love Jesus. We just need to be Jesus in the flesh. For people to get outside the walls of, of their little sanctuary and to actually be the hands and feet of Jesus, to care for the poor, for the least of these. We don't feel like we're done. We see that homelessness is still a problem. And that's what we do. And to see the body of Christ come together in such a beautiful way that they would never rub shoulders with, with some of the people that they are encountering and they are loving on and they are serving. To do that, you see Jesus within our community. 
They are the only homeless shelter in Wilson County, right, working to serve the least of these in our community. Both organizations are really, they are both doing beautiful work. And so we just ask that you continue to uh, be in prayer about what you can give to them financially on Christmas Eve. Well, our scripture today is Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. We are at the birth of Jesus, which we don't normally get to before Christmas Eve, but they say, uh, scripture says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, if you haven't taken a mental note of today's date quite yet, it is December 18th. And for many centuries on this day in the Catholic Church, um, the Catholic Church celebrated what was known as the Feast of Expectation of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Now, I didn't grow up Catholic. Google brought this holy day to my attention as I was preparing for today's message, what would we do without Google? And I learned that this day is all about setting aside time to contemplate what Mary may have been thinking or feeling in the week leading up to Christmas, right? It's an invitation to join her in her pondering. And I think it's a beautiful practice to wonder and be curious about not just the week leading up to Christmas Day, but what Mary's experience may have been like after she belted out the Magnificat, right, that Jacob preached about last week. The Bible doesn't reveal any of Mary's thoughts really after that, but even in the quiet of her story, I believe she has much to teach us. The Christmas of 1995, yes, all the way back in the 1900s, <laughs> I was 16 years old, living in the city of Bethlehem. I grew up in the Christmas city in Pennsylvania, and I was eight months pregnant with my first son. And what I remember most about that Christmas is my mom shrieking as a squirrel escaped from our fireplace, okay? Not where you thought I was going, right? <laughs> Our chimney was infested with squirrels, and my mom called someone out to remove them. And as they were working to do that, one of the squirrels escaped and jumped straight at me. That's when my mom screamed, okay? Because she was worried that the squirrel would hurt her grandbaby, <laughs> who I can assure you was very safe, right? Very safe. And that's when I first learned that she loved him more than me, <laughs> right? Then the squirrel jumped over my head into the Christmas tree, down through the tree onto this wooden platform where we had this beautiful porcelain Christmas village set up, okay? And the Godzilla squirrel terrorized the townspeople and then finally jumped over by the door where the guy trapped and caught it, 
right? It was the most exciting 60 seconds of that Christmas. <laughs> but other than that, I remember my spirit feeling very unsettled. As a pregnant teenager, I, I had lost friends. Parents didn't really want their daughters hanging around me, which to a certain degree I was able to understand. Uh, people gossiped about me. They ignored me. They stopped making eye contact with me. They stopped asking how I was doing or feeling, and that can just start to make you feel invisible and unwanted and unloved. And that wasn't just my experience when I was pregnant. It happened when my son was two years old and six years old and 10 years old. That judgment didn't go away. It, it followed me. When people found out that I was pregnant, I could tell in their demeanor that they were uncomfortable talking about it. Right? And so they changed the conversation as quickly as possible, which filled me with shame for a long time. And I was always a quiet person, but it made me even quieter because I believed that there were pieces of myself and my story that I couldn't share with other people. You know? and, and some of the deepest hurt that I experienced came from my church family. Now, to be completely transparent with you, I also have to tell you that I was very loved by my mom and my family, and I went to a pretty great school. It was a public school, but they wrapped around me and they provided me with a tutor after I had my son, right? So I didn't fall behind in classes. They provided daycare at the school for me when I went back so that I didn't have to struggle with attendance. They provided parenting classes so that I could learn how to care for him. And they still allowed me to participate in, in school activities. And I don't know how much harder my journey would have been without their support. You know, that's why when we talk about coming alongside Barry Tatum Academy, right, I get excited and something happens in my heart as I start to dream about what God can do with our partnership, right? How God is going to work in and through us and the school and the students there, some who have struggled and, yes, have made unhealthy and harmful choices in their lives, like I did when I was a similar age. I was not blameless in my circumstance the way Mary was, right? Obviously. I made a choice. And there was a consequence for that. Not that a child is a consequence, but my pregnancy was the result of my choice. And then I made another choice to say yes to him because I believe that his life has worth and purpose. And I knew that that would mean my life would change. And I didn't understand all the ways that it would change or the fortitude required for the journey. But I have never wished that I could go back and change my answer because he has brought so much joy and love into my life and into this world. What I do wish is that I could tell you that Mary was a source of strength for me, right? That she was a source of strength through all of that, that her story of being a teen mom comforted and encouraged my heart, that because of her, I clung to God during that time. Right? But that would not be a true account of my story. It wasn't until many years later that her story came alive to me as I pondered her journey in light of my own. As I thought about what she must likely have endured, 
right? In her honor, shame, fiercely patriarchal culture, where people didn't just cast stones of judgment, they cast real physical stones at women publicly in the town square for having children outside of marriage where they gossiped about you and ostracized you from all aspects of community if they didn't kill you. And I can't help but wonder if after saying yes to God, her spirit was unsettled about how her news would be received by her community. I wonder if she was afraid, if she was paralyzed by what that meant for her future. And if that's why she stayed in the safety of Elizabeth's house for three months before she went home. And it's possible that wasn't her story, right? It's possible that Mary was perfectly united with God and had perfect contentment and peace. Maybe she sang with complete joy throughout her whole pregnancy. I don't know how you do that without ice cream, <laughs> but it's possible. Right? I mean, maybe she was able to shrug it off after people more than likely laughed at her and mocked her when she told them she was carrying the Son of God. I mean, imagine if your neighbor said that to you. Maybe their response didn't matter to her and she was able to just move on. But I have a hard time believing that because as much as she loved God, she was human. She was human, and her spirit was like our spirit. And the only perfect person that has ever walked this earth was the baby boy she carried in her womb, who, by the way, she needed as a savior just as desperately as we do. And even he got angry and cried and questioned God when things got hard, because he was not just fully divine. He was also fully human. He was fully human. And here's the thing. Jesus knew how to be God. He knew how to be God. What he had to learn was how to be human. And I like to believe that his parents, especially his mama, taught him how to walk as a human completely dependent on God on this earth. That he saw her struggle and surrender, struggle and surrender, struggle and surrender that she taught him how to draw from a deep well of courage and strength and truth, how to turn to God in prayer, how to hide God's word in his heart so that he could sing a song and live a life that glorified God, how to trust God as he endured each unexpected circumstance on this earth, something we know Mary was very well accustomed to doing. Jesus had to learn that. He had to learn those things. And so do we. So here are some things that I have learned in the quiet of Mary's story. She has taught me to trust God in the silence. Not all of Mary's journey was filled with angels and people giving her direction and confirming her every decision. Now, one way the enemy can discourage us is through the lie that we are forgotten or that God doesn't see us or, or, or notice our suffering, but that is not true. The truth is that God does see you 
and God does hear you. And if you allow him, God will use the quiet times of uncertainty to mature your faith and draw you even closer to himself. There is a certain knowledge and depth and peace of God that only comes to us in the silence. So don't let that lie take root. Don't get discouraged. Trust God in the silence, whether that is the the silence of other people or the silence of God. And believe that that silence can also be a sign of God's trust in your faithfulness. Mary's story also encourages me to trust in the slow work of God. We are conditioned to want instant gratification. So waiting for God to do what we've asked or what God has promised to do is becoming increasingly more difficult as the world advances. Mary had to wait her whole life for the Messiah, right? And then nine months before Jesus is born because creating a human is slow business, right? It's slow work. And then she had to wait 30 years for his ministry to begin. And then how much longer before God's promise in him was fulfilled? Sometimes accepting God's timing can be difficult. But when we wait with God as he's working, as opposed to waiting for God to work, then our waiting can be filled with peace and trust and a belief that one day, even if it's not on our timeline, that one day God will make all things good and right and just as he said they would be. Mary's story also reminds us to trust that God is working for our good. Sometimes we find ourselves in circumstances that make us doubt and question if that statement is is true, if God is really working for our good. And you may have begged God for something, begged him in a time of great suffering and, and not received the answer you wanted. And I have been there. Those experiences can weaken our trust in God. And while we need to keep praying and asking with expectation, it's important to cradle those expectations in a larger understanding of hope, which requires more faith than expectation does. Right? Jesus modeled this for us. This, the night he was arrested, he prayed, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Right? Let it pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Our expectations and desires can come from a very self-focused place. But hope comes from a place of of kingdom-focused faith, right? It's to trust that God's will is for our collective good. And for me, that is why I count Mary as blessed among all women, Her yes wasn't just a yes for herself. It was a yes to God's kingdom. It was a yes for all of Israel, for all the people of God. It was a yes for you and a yes for you and a yes for you, right? It's like she was the original Oprah, right? (laughs) You get Jesus and you get Jesus and you get Jesus. Everybody gets Jesus, right? Her yes came from a belief that God is working to restore all the brokenness, and make all things new, even when things don't make sense for her life or play out the way she expected. So here we are at another unexpected event in her life, right? The census. The news of the census at the time of Jesus' birth would have been a shock to everyone, 
Um, it, it required hundreds of thousands of people throughout Israel to leave their homes and travel to the cities of their ancestors where, where they had family land to be counted for tax purposes. So for Mary and Joseph, that meant instead of being home to nest and relax and go over all the last minute details of their birth plan, they had to prepare for an 80 mile hike from Nazareth to Bethlehem, right, where Joseph's family was from. For us, that would be like hiking from here in Mount Juliet to Mammoth Cave in Kentucky. And actually beyond that, it's eight miles beyond that. And Mary and Joseph were very poor. They didn't have much in the way of provision, so it would have been a really difficult journey for them. And again, at eight months pregnant. And we don't know if when news of the census reached them that they were weary from life, right, from, from all of their experiences and dreading the journey, or if they remembered the words of Micah 5.2 that say, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel whose origins are from old, from ancient time, right? If they remembered those words and were energized and believed that even though it was not at all what they expected to be doing at that point in Mary's pregnancy, that God was using the census to fulfill the prophecy that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Did that amaze them? And both of those things can be true. Right? They can be weary and amazed at the same time. We can hold two of those things at the same time. Right? We don't know. Nevertheless, off they went. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. I recently read a story about a mom who was exhausted, who felt overwhelmed by the demands and circumstances of life, especially at this time of year. Right? She felt like she was drowning in the lights and parties and presents and music, all the things our culture called the Christmas spirit. Right? And she felt very far away from God. She had a six-year-old son who, for weeks, much like our kids, had been practicing for his school's winter pageant. And because she had to work on the night of the performance, the school invited her to come to the dress rehearsal. So on the morning of the rehearsal, she found a spot in the cafeteria with all the students and began looking over the program. Now, the public schools had long stopped referring to the holiday as Christmas, so she didn't expect to see anything other than songs about reindeer and snowflakes and Santa, right? So, so when she spotted a song called Christmas Love, she was really surprised. And when it was time for that song in the performance, all of the kids on the front row were holding signs with large letters on them that spelled out the title of the song. And as the class sang, C is for Christmas, H is for happy, the child holding the letter would hold their letter up high over their head and on and on until the end of the song. And the song started out great, but then the kids in the audience started laughing, 
right? And the mom started to look around the room to see what might have caught their attention. And at that age, it does not take much, right? But then uh, she saw her. There was this, this little girl on the front row on the stage who was holding her letter upside down. And she didn't know it because she was too busy singing her song, right? She was belting it out on stage, and when it was her turn, she held her letter high above her head. And the mom got distracted by all the laughter and shenanigans happening around her. But when her eyes refocused on the stage at the end of the song, she gasped. And her eyes started to slowly fill with tears because this is what she saw. Yeah, see that? Christ was love. And all of a sudden, because of this one little girl holding a silly sign upside down, she was reminded of the true meaning of Christmas. She didn't expect it. Right? She didn't expect God to meet her while she was sitting on the floor of an elementary school cafeteria. She didn't expect what that message did to her heart, how desperately she needed to be reminded of that truth. Christ was love. There is probably not a lower place on earth for Jesus to be born than in a stable in the tiny town of Bethlehem, right? which was just a blip on the map of the Roman Empire. But I think that's exactly the point now, Mary and Joseph could have been ushered into the finest inn Bethlehem had to offer, into the finest room. Jesus could have been born in, in Caesar's palace itself with all the riches of the world surrounding him. God could have made that Jesus' birth plan. And it still would have been the deepest descent from holy to human the world has ever known. But maybe Jesus was born exactly where he was, into the circumstance he was, as difficult as it was for Mary and Joseph, so that he would know our poverty, so that Jesus would know our pain, our sorrow, our rejection, our despair, our darkness. Maybe he wanted to become so low in this world, so humble that there is not a single circumstance, not a single one that would hinder the most lowly and desperate and outcast of us from drawing near to him, from getting close to him, from receiving the love that he came to give. You know, as Mary was holding the weight of her world on that first Christmas, Christ was love. As I walk through my feelings of shame and invisibility back in 1995, Christ was love. And this Christmas, whether you are ready for celebration or you feel like you are barely holding on, Christ is love. And he came for you. If there is anything you take home today, anything, let it be this, okay? This whole story, every bit of it happens because you are loved, you are loved, you are loved, you are loved, you are loved. I wish I could say it a hundred more times. You are loved. 
I was reminded recently that in Hebrew, Bethlehem literally translates to house of bread, okay? A very fitting place for the bread of life to be born. So as we continue to journey with Mary to Bethlehem this week and to this table this morning to receive this bread and juice which represent the body and blood of Christ, right? The love of Christ for us. May we open and prepare our hearts to receive that love, right? That Jesus so desperately wants to give us. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for entering into the mess, into the mess of this world, and for coming in such a way that the most lowly of us, the most desperate of us, the most outcast of us, the most lonely of us would feel welcome in your arms. We ask that you continue to speak quietly to our hearts, God, to the, to the deep places that we desperately need you to meet us. Continue to speak. Meet us in that place, Lord, this morning as we prepare to receive you into our lives and into our very bodies. So God, we ask that you pour out your Holy Spirit on all of us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and juice. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. Amen.